welcome to another edition of the 16-Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. My name is AJ Kearns, and it is with great joy and pride that I'm your host here each and every week, introducing you to the artists and designers from around the world, helping our favorite beers and breweries to life. That's right, folks. This week is no different. We have the talented DJ, graphic designer, extraordinaire, Scott Hyduke, who's checking in via Portland, Maine, vacation land, and just really a great opportunity to talk to him, talk about music, talk about his story, life, beer, bud, you know, crate diving, and just uh, all sorts of goodies for you here. So... We came to learn of Scott because we love fucking Maine. We think Maine is a great place to be, and if you haven't had a chance to check out Vacation Land, please do so. Tell them AJ sent you. We uh, definitely feel like we should be getting some kickback, and that joke is made more than once uh, during this episode by the Tourism Bureau, but it's just, uh, it's just a great episode, and we think that you should uh, check it out. So Scott, as well as running his own thing, like I said, he's uh, High Duke. That's his, his kind of moniker, his DJ name. You can find him on Instagram at H-I, like hello, hi, underscore, underscore. So double underscore Duke, as in university, as in the Blue Devils. And you can find out more information on what he's up to. He's spinning all over the, you know, the main area. And he's also doing some great labels for Bunker Brewing. So this is a good episode. It's uh, part of our great Maine series. And uh, we'll give you a little teaser. We'll have some great news for you about Maine. In the coming weeks, this episode, we also check in with Heidi Geist. It's been about six weeks since we uh, spoke with her, since sadly Fearless broke down, uh, stranded her a little bit in Arizona, but uh, she cannot be broken and uh, she keeps it strong and it keeps keeps grinding. So look for that right in the, in the interlude, the, the second section. As we mentioned before, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we mentioned it and we mentioned it last week that we'd be going to London. We just had a wonderful time in the UK, and we're going to keep this short and sweet. But we thought it was going to be a cool trip. We thought it was going to be a lot of fun, but it just exceeded expectations. You know, we were definitely super touristy. We did Westminster Abbey. You know, we did um, Abbey Road. We did the Buckingham We did Buckingham Palace. We did London Eye, the Aquarium. I uh, went to Stonehenge, Bath. I risked my life as well as my family's by driving on the other side of the road. Uh, I did clip a fire engine. Thankfully, there was no damage. But um, it was definitely... Uh, this is how I imagine it. If you've ever driven stick ship, which I've, I've done most of my life, I did not on this trip because just the fact that I was on the right side of the car and left side of the road and, you know, all that fun stuff. But just imagine you've just got your driver's license, so th- that's the moment. The same day you've learned how to drive stick shift, and then you're dropped into Manhattan, we'll just say. And you have to get out of the city in a certain amount of time. And you also, you know, can't run over any pedestrians. And then also the normal, you know, avenues, which are four or five lanes, are one and a half. And you're not really sure where you're going to go. So I, you know, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty cool. Collective under pressure. You know, I have a good poker face, but it was definitely, definitely, definitely stressful. Driving the highways to Stonehenge and, and such wasn't so bad. I could do without, you know, the thousand, you know, uh, roundabouts and what have you. But it was just, uh, it was an experience. You know, we had some incredible beer. The food was wonderful. The hospitality was great. 
you know, we visited Cloudwater, you know, had some of, you know, had some of their beers there, you know, the work that they're doing with, uh, you know, Diamond Culture was wonderful, you know, selling the book there, so we went there to support that. And uh, it was just, uh, it was a wonderful experience. Now, we people complain in the States, all oh, beer is too expensive, beer is this, beer is blah, 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 blah. Beer was fucking expensive in the UK. Now, at the pubs, it was normal, you know, you know, four or five pound, you know, for, for a pint, and that was fine. But if you go to a craft beer shop, a bottle shop, I bought um, Cloudwater and other half Cloudwater and Valcans, and they were seven or seven and a half pounds which is 1.5, you do the math, you know, 7 times 1.5, it was 10, roughly 10, yeah, shit, I didn't realize how much I spent, but about 10 bucks a can, uh, there was a Wyman and uh, other half collaboration, that was 8 something, 8 something pounds, day drink, I'll do that to you, you just buy, you know, you'll say, oh, yeah, I'll take that, but the beers were great, it was great to be a part of it, you know, the infrastructure there is you know, second to none. You know, taking the tube, the overground, you know, the train system was so smooth it would make it extremely difficult for you to get lost. It was like it was like if the New York City subway system was clean, better organized, and way less stressful. <laughs> so it was pretty much you know. You know, I'm going to say it. I I might like London more than I like New York City. <sighs> There, there I said it. But you know, we'll have to keep going back, and we'll, you know, we'll keep you updated on that. Watched a, a proper football match at the pub, Tottenham Hotspurs, and um, we just had a, we just had a wonderful time. But without further ado, this is episode 108, Ciento Ocho, and yeah, it's crazy. I, I'm, I'm in full blown like holy shit mode that we're over 100 episodes. Season, you know, season 10 is rock and rolling. I, I think we're pretty. I, I'm not. I would say about 95% sure we've already fully locked down all of season 11 and we're working on season 12. People are coming out of the woodwork to be a part of this project and, you know, just keep on coming. Remember to use the, the 16 ounce canvas hashtag 16OZCanvas, 16OZCanvas.com, 16OZCanvas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and just use the pound sign hashtag tic-tac-toe and uh, we uh, we love to hear from you. So get in touch. Let's get into it. Scott Duke. DJ, designer extraordinaire, Maine, vacation land, uh, tourism bureau representative, an all-around good dude who's just going to drop some knowledge on us. And uh, he's about as old school as it gets with the you know the turntables. He's he's rocking it, rocking it pure. Definitely not taking the easy way out, but he's going vinyl. So if you've got a, a secret path to you know some some dope di- dope vinyl, excuse me, you know. Spread the word, get in touch with Scott or get in touch with me, and we'll uh, make sure he gets some of those OGs so he gets that, that much, you know, much love and uh, street cred for, from the uh, the vinyl squad. And um, let's just do it. Episode 108. Woo! 108 episodes. It's beautiful. Right here on the 16 ounce canvas, the art of craft beer podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 16 ounce canvas, the art of craft beer podcast. Very excited to have with us another artist from one of my favorite places on earth, Portland, Maine, vacation land, Mr. Scott Hyduke himself, DJ, designer extraordinaire. Thanks so much for uh, making making time to join us today, Scott. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I've definitely, uh, I've been following for a while and I think it's really cool uh, what you're doing. You know, I kind of, uh, two of my favorite things in the world, art, music, and I guess beer. So that's kind of the, the trifecta with the uh, 
you know, a little bit of the, the 420 mix in. So I think that uh, you, and I will get, <laughs> you and I will get along just fine. Right, right. Well, uh, the same for me, obviously. Um, I'm lucky to do things with uh, in industries that I'm passionate about. So yeah, definitely feel pretty blessed at the moment. So. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think that that's uh, it's a great it's a great time to be alive. I think uh, really one of the, my biggest takeaways is from folks like yourself who are passionate about what they do, they love it, and they kind of put all their chips in and make a career out of it. So um, I can really, you know, just uh, like I said, I, I love Maine. I love what you're doing, and I'm just excited to have you uh, as one of our guests. So thanks, man. Well, cheers. Thanks, man. Glad cool. to be here. Cool. So for folks scoring at home, if you want to follow on the Instagram, it's hi, like hello, H-I- uh, double underscore because it's just that good so double underscore duke like the university d-u-k-e and i'm just uh and then you go to highdukedesign.com it's h-i i know 420 just passed but it's not h-i-g-h uh duke so <laughs> but um yeah you should use that for your uh, your moniker for the weekend that would have been perfect yeah actually uh one of my buddies was telling me that uh we we kind of uh blew it on that one but i think everyone knew that uh you know, everyone was too high to really care. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's cool. Yeah, because uh, Scott was DJing at uh, Nova Res, uh, which is one of our favorite places to, to visit when we're up there. I feel bad for some of the other bars. I always try to diversify, but I always end up I always end up there. It's just kind of when it's one of the best bars in the in the world in the country. It's hard to really go anywhere else. Yeah, Novari is definitely sort of a mainstay if, if you're in the craft beer. Like that's that's the spot to go. And obviously Shaheen and the rest of the crew there, they're just so hospitable to anyone oh, who comes yeah. to the town. So that makes it a really easy spot or, and it's right in the middle of town. So it's, it's definitely a great spot to go. And when they have big events, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, you'll always see a few people dressed up and hamming it up. So it was, it was a good weekend. Yeah, uh, the first we went there a few years ago. We had uh, we interviewed Warren, who does work with Liquid Liquid Riot, and they all you know they're 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 tied together there. And they said you know they sent me over there, and yeah, Shagim and everybody was super super friendly and helpful. So it was really wonderful. And then I was talking to Will at the Standard uh, Gastro Pub uh, in uh, Bridgeton, and you know the other day, and he was like, oh, "I'm going to you know Farmhouse Funkadelic," and so it's kind of that's what I love about Maine. Everything's just like. Everyone says six degrees of separation. It's like two or three. If even that's a stretch, right? It's just a, it's a really great place. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Portland is or Maine in general. You know, it's a big state, but it's fairly small once you start connecting all the dots, and um, and that's what makes it fun. I mean, essentially, at events like Farmhouse of Funkadelic, you're gonna see brewers from liquid ride for example and a bunch of other brewers that we're all essentially kind of friends obviously there's a certain amount of competition as all these brands grow but um you know it's all love all around and i feel like it's everyone's doing something a little different or everyone has their own take on things so um that's it's a really cool thing and i'm lucky to be friends really close friends with Oxbow and Bunker specifically and just seeing the dynamic between the brewers there. A lot of time they, they share knowledge or even sometimes they'll hit up each other for hops or yeast or, you know, just little trick uh, like tips that they may need. So um, it's really cool in that respect that, you know, 
everyone kind of works together and wants to see everyone shine in their own respect. I, I, I agree. That's why I think we're, we're on year six or seven of our, you know, Maine. We go, we make sure we go, I mean, we go to Harrison and we've told the story before, but we, yeah, we come to, we try to come to Maine at least once a year. You know, uh, I've already was up in Portland for St. Patrick's day, which was, you know, kind of amateur hour with some folks out, but it was wonderful just to be up there. Like it's just, you know, got to finally go to duck fad and, you know, just, you know, did it up and it was, Every time I go there, it's just I find a new little thing that I just take away that I just can't wait to get back up there. So it's uh, it's we uh, we love we love what everybody's doing up there in vacation land. So yeah. Oh yeah, and um, we're really lucky. You know, obviously Portland has tons of really great restaurants and and breweries, what have you. But one of the beautiful things is you can basically drive an hour in any direction in Maine and be pretty rural uh, and either be on a uh, on the ocean or in the woods somewhere. And, uh, especially as, this, as it gets into the warmer weather, um, you know, it's really nice. And but on the flip side, if you're really into like snowboarding or skiing or what have you, that, you know, the winter can be really fun as well. So, uh, that's what I really drew me to Portland originally, cause I'm not originally from Maine, but I've lived in Portland since, let's see, 2000 and, so I've been oh, here wow. quite a bit, and I've seen the city change quite a bit. When I first was here, essentially it was it was still like just Geary's, Gritty's, you know, Shipyard, the kind of the old English style breweries um, as far as the craft beer scene go goes. Um, so I've kind of been lucky to see this whole movement happen, you know. Wow! Wow! I've lived here, and it's really and and also kind of benefit from it. So, um, so it's really cool. Um, and you know, it's constantly changing and seems to be getting bigger and drawing in more people from out of town. And obviously, we're known as vacation lands, so <laughs> it's definitely we live up to that uh, slogan. I agree, and I find that every time I talk to somebody from Maine, we do like a pro like a promo. If we ever could figure a way to monetize it with the uh, the tourism bureau, I think that we always uh, we always do well. And uh, with the uh, eventual, I mean, well, it is legal there, but it will be easier recreationally, as we were uh, discussing with 420. Um, you know, I think that'll only uh, that only increase as we've seen with you know Boston, Cali, Colorado. I guess there's so many places you know with the legalization of the weed. So I think, uh, it's, uh, only, only onward and upward. So I think it'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, um, we have, you know, for lack of a better term, we have just a lot of, um, crafty people, you know, that are able to, you know, whether it be brewers or growers or designers, musicians, what have you, um, there's just a lot of cool creative things going on here and a lot of talented people that, take a lot of um, pride in their craft. So um, I think that sh shows uh, with the end, end product. I agree. And I think it shows, yeah, you were saying before, like what you're doing, it shows that, you know, the traditional or what, you know, growing, like I'm 40, when you grow, you know, growing up that, you know, these non, you know, uh, coat and tie type, you know, careers, you know, they're, they are viable and that there's a community and infrastructure and a support mechanism there to make it happen. But We've hyped up everybody else, so let's let's take a step back. You, you know, you said you weren't you're not from Portland originally. You know, kind of what's the uh, what's the Scott Hyduke story? Like, how did you you know how did you get started? You know, you've got this you know awesome duality of you know skills that you're 
you're rocking. You know, what, what kind of what's your story, Scott? Well, uh, my story is actually probably a little different than some of your other interviews because actually I didn't originally come from an art background per se. I actually graduated with a marketing degree, um, but I've always been in the music and I've, I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up suburbs of Chicago. Um, and then right around when I was about to finish up high school, my dad got a job opportunity in New Jersey. So long story short, I essentially ended up moving out east, going to college in Rhode Island and, um, you know, graduated college, post-college. I was had a marketing degree, but, you know, kind of classic, like still figuring it out post-graduation, living in New Jersey, not, I really didn't spend much time there, didn't grow up there, so I was looking for a place to move, and one of my good friends from college had moved up to Portland, Maine, and I visited a few times and just really dug the vibe of the city and, you know, was, like I said, still kind of figuring things out. So I ended up moving up to Portland, Maine, like I said earlier, 2004-ish, yeah, 2004, I moved up here, and essentially started off and was kind of working marketing jobs, what have you, and uh, you know, it wasn't really like panning out or just like, I wasn't super passionate about it. And at the time I was really into making music, like kind of making beats, like sampling records. So that's, um, I got really into digging for vinyl, you know, lots of primarily like funk soul stuff and was super influenced on like sort of the golden era hip hop, as they say, like nineties era hip hop, where it was primarily sample based. So while I was working these marketing jobs, I wasn't, you know, I was kind of going through the motions a little bit, just not super psyched with, you know, these entry level jobs that I was doing, but I was creating a lot of music and I should step back. I was creating a lot of music, but also one of my uncles uh, used to be an art professor at a university. So basically I had always had access to like pirated versions of Illustrator and Photoshop. So for all my music, I would always make like mixtapes all the time and stuff. So I'd always be making these covers or, or like, you know, the handout or whatever. So I was always like kind of creating stuff, but not professionally, just like for my own passion. And, um, and then essentially an opportunity came up where, um, a local beer distributor, uh, their craft design was going on maternity leave. And I had a friend and he kind of like, I got an in filling in for this lady while she was on maternity leave. Essentially they, it was an in-house graph design position and it, it was a beer distributor thing. So it was essentially creating posters, cable tents, you know, not necessarily the most creative stuff, but kind of got my foot in the door as far as, doing design long story short from that she ended up leaving that company a year or so later and i became this full-time in-house designer for a local beer distributor here in maine and i was in that role for probably let's see i'd say like about eight years or so um and Essentially, like, you know, it was a great, like, essentially, I realized, oh, this is my passion. I love graphic design. And 
essentially taught myself got better with time because I was doing it every day and doing a lot of beer promo posters, but also doing my own creative stuff for the music that I'd create. And then essentially reached a point where I wasn't, you know, I wasn't pushing myself creatively enough in that role. It was a nice comfortable role where, you know, I had the benefits, I had a salary and it was, you know, obviously that was nice, but, Every, for example, every every fall, I knew I was going to be doing Patriots templates or whatever. Like you know, it's kind of felt like I was sort of in Groundhog Day, and so it was from that point that I realized I wanted to go freelance and do my own thing. And I should step back a little bit. Simultaneously, I became friends with Oxbow guys. I was I'm friends with Will Sears and via Will Sears. But in case you don't, like, I've, you've done an interview with Will before, right? Yeah, we yeah yeah we had Will yeah Will was on. Wow, it's kind of crazy to think about. It. I got to look at what episode it was, but yeah, it was like a year and a half ago, which is crazy. Yeah, I think yeah. Right, right. So anyway, Will is a good friend of mine, and via like we're we were just buddies uh you know when he started he's like the head designer at oxbow for listeners that don't know and uh so i met tim who's the owner of oxbow via will and then you know sparked a friendship with tim adams and like early this was very early on probably a year into when oxbow started i went up and visited tim and when they were only in Newcastle and this was, they were really small at this point, essentially like it was just Phil and Growler straight from the brewery and it was just him there. And that's the first time I hung out with him where we were literally just, I was helping him fill Growlers at the brewery, you know, cause you know, it's, and then from there we sparked a friendship. He really liked the music I was both making and uh, you know, playing like all the, records I was into and essentially asked me to DJ goods from the woods. And that's kind of where my whole brewery circuit DJ thing kind of blossomed. Like I DJed for years, but wasn't really actively pursuing it. And then from doing these like goods from the woods, that kind of exposed me. uh, The first goods from the woods that I spun at is where I met, Creston, who is the head brewer and owner of Bunker Brewing. Uh, and I met Creston at that Goods from the Woods. You up the tunes I was playing and was essentially like, oh, I want you to DJ my parties too. So I kind of got tied in the whole brewery circuit musically first before I design and, and essentially became friends with Creston as well and started DJing some of his parties. Um, and then as our friendship grew, I was, while this was going on, I still had my full-time role at this beer distributor where I was, you know, nine, like Monday through Friday kind of deal. And then moonlighting as a DJ essentially. And um, as I was, you know, kind of building these relationships with these breweries, I became, you know, closer friends with Creston and, he essentially gave me the opportunity to design one of their early beer labels. And 
that kind of started my whole relationship with them. And then essentially started doing a few more labels with him and helping with other design stuff at Bunker. And then I got to a point where I was starting to pick up more freelance work and do more design or excuse me, more DJ gigs around town, whatnot, that I kind of reached a point where I'm like, oh, I think I can do this freelance thing. Um, Cause I knew like I'd kind of reached, you know, I was, I felt stagnant at that other role and I knew nothing was really going to change for me there unless I made the change myself. So I kind of took the leap of faith and um, it's been two and a half, two and a half, three years now that I've been freelance uh, and, you know, graphic design is my primary thing. And then sort of DJing I do as a sort of side you know, it's my hobby, but I also obviously get paid to do um, these DJ gigs and stuff. So it's a nice little side hustle that also keeps me, you know, kind of entertains my hobby and allows me to still, uh, you know, stay in touch with my musical side. Because, you know, as you, as doing design, a lot of time you're just kind of holed up by yourself and staring at a screen all day so it's nice to get out and be with the people as well which that the DJing side allows me to do that so that kind of kind of is my my story you're a natural Scott you're a natural dude yeah I was just kicked back yeah definitely uh yeah it's a great story and my story which is why I love you I think I am so drawn to it is I, you know, I went to university and I, I, I did a radio show for about a decade and right. I had that corporate kind of nine to five thing and it was, you know, it was fine. Like you said, fed, fed, put food on the table and it's great. Um, and we always kind of talk about, and not to say that your job at the distributor was your, or a shitty job, but just kind of everyone's kind of shitty jobs or jobs that aren't kind of that, uh, perfect fit kind of help, help people realize or define, what you know oh, what, yeah. what they want and, to do and i don't feel like I, and i don't want to discredit yeah exactly uh, you, I, I, know, you, didn't, you didn't you didn't vibe it that way like yeah the necessary step that i needed to go freelance like you know uh, just to push myself because like i started off telling you uh, my path isn't just the natural like go to art school like now i'm a designer sort of thing it kind of happened organically and um just kind of with time and and really part of it is just the connections I built via the brewing industry and some of these other, you know, creative industries that I'm involved in, that it just kind of naturally evolved that way. And uh, I'll openly admit, I'm kind of, can be a little stubborn and, you know, got to a point where I was like, oh, well, life's too short to like, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I was in a role where I knew I could, stay there forever if I wanted but you know it's like like I said it kind of felt like Groundhog Day after a while where I what I'm doing now every week I'm doing something different or so that makes it so much just life so much more interesting and fun Um, so obviously freelance is a little more of a hustle and there's constantly you're you know like you're chasing jobs some of the time but you know also I'm doing it on my terms not you know on other people's terms. So, so it's definitely, uh, more work and, you know, less time off, but, you know, I get to kind of 
make my schedule as well, which is an, a nice thing. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I think it's perfect. I think that I always look at life as kind of this kind of building up of skills and stories that help bring us to a point in time. And so that's, as a self-taught guy, you know, I was definitely, uh, not, not that, not that I am saying it's good to pirate software, but it's, it was much easier when I was younger to learn Photoshop by actually just hacking it up and not having to spend, you know, $3,000 or, I mean, I know it's come down now, but it's like a monthly service, but yeah, you can just kind right, of, right. you can just get yourself a little serial code and, you know, play yeah. with it for hours and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just, um, I do miss that. I uh, should note I don't pirate. No, 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 man. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, it's, it's all yeah, but just yeah, it was. Uh, no, I, I think I had like an educational copy. It was definitely a great. It was definitely a gray area. Um, I think I took a class like once a year, so I think it, it definitely would have fallen into that terms of service. But it was, it was super gray. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Adobe back in the day knew that it, that was happening a lot. That's why they charged so much. Um, I think now they've kind of adjusted with subscriptions that make it more realistic for people. And also you can kind of pick and choose which programs you want to work at. Like if you don't want to do a full like suite subscription, which I think is a much better sort of method and it helps them get money on their end and people can avoid that piracy. So. Um, but, uh, you know, also technology has changed significantly since you and I both <laughs> started playing around with computers. So. Yeah, and I, um, I think that's, you know, I think it's a really uh, great story. I know that, you know, the you probably learned so much that the distribution job just kind of, you know, about streamlining things and, you know, thinking of the brand, you know, much bigger than just kind of a flat file. So I think that's a really... Yeah, it's kind of nice, and it's ironically that you ended up working now more in, in craft beer and whatnot. Right. Well, I had always been into craft beer. Um, you know, obviously with the distributors, some of the design stuff I was doing wasn't craft-oriented at all. It was for bigger brands. I won't name the brands, but, you know, uh, obviously the the big guys, like those are, those are the ones that generally pay distributors bills. <laughs> um, uh, but... I think it gave me, I like to say I'm a more a graphic designer than an artist. And be, and the reason being is I'm able, like at that role, I was able to learn that you have to compromise. Whether you like it or not, like there's a certain push and pull that comes with almost all design, especially graphic design. It's not like art. It's just like where it's like, oh, here's my painting and that's that. Like, so years of doing that you know sometime i had to push back and you know deal with these hard clients that i was doing indirectly because i was providing a service via the distributor so a lot of time the distributor didn't want to push back at all it was just like hey give them what they want but as a designer you you're kind of like hey this is going to look like garbage if we do it like that so being able to you know sort of work with these clients and be willing to compromise is like, I think gives me a certain advantage and also just like set my ego aside a little bit and be like, Hey, well, at the end of the day, I'm getting paid to do this. And if that's what they want, like that's, you know, I have to give them what they want. Like, but you know, there's that happy medium where I want it. If, if my name's going to be on it, I want it to look nice as well. So 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's really what the, what the customer wants, um, you know, and I think for certain artists coming up, that's a harder pill to swallow. Um, but obviously I had years of having to swallow that pill <laughs> numerous times. So, um, yeah. so that's just the experience, uh, the experience I've had with it. Yeah, I agree. Cause it's not, yeah, there's a totally different, and I think, yeah, we've kind of learned in your kind of, your you're a dual threat because you are a graphic designer, but you're also, you know, with the DJ stuff, you're an artist. And so I think it's kind of nice for you to be able to see that and something, you know, and makes probably makes you a little more flexible than, than you probably as a fellow stubborn person. Um, I definitely, uh, know when I need to be flexible. I, I just got, I got right. but I have to like, it's like, it's not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm on the, on the fly flexible. I think I have to like hype myself up. Like I know this situation needs me to be flexible. So like, kind of that like talk yourself in the mirror moments, you know, like, okay, right. Let's, let's not be my normal pain in the ass self. I can be a little flexible today. Well, and for example, in my current role, like I do a lot of bunkers can designs or sometimes bunkers unique where I'm not the sole designer, like Will Sears at Oxbow, like uh, Crescent will also recruit some other artists. Cause I'm more of a digital designer. Like m most of my stuff I do in illustrator Photoshop. So I'm not, and like I do illustration, but not too much. Like I focus primarily on vector art cause I'm doing a lot of logos and whatnot. And, you know, generally it's, and, and result they need a vector logo. So I work primarily in that medium. He works with some other artists, uh, for example, Nick Reddy, he's a really talented, tattoo artists but a lot of time it will be like just a, the drawing and then I have to do the layout and whatnot so there's there's a lot of like kind of back and forth uh, between us as far as like what what should we do with the colorway and whatnot and all this where it's that same compromise where you know so you know we have a little back and forth and it, that result is really nice looking labels um and on the flip side, some ideas I've had before, like you'll never see the light of day because it was just not necessarily what, you know, he had envisioned. So it's being able to be like, okay, well, shelf that and, you know, what, what do you want? You know, what, what are we trying, what are we, let's get back to the drawing board and being able to just be, be okay with that, you know, and not get all butthurt or whatever. So um, I, I feel like that's, um, definitely one thing that helped a lot from that role so yeah and i yeah and to give a plug to the crew over there Bunk, bunker brewing you head over there bunkerbrewing.com bunker brewing on instagram uh definitely enjoy their beers i'm up there I have, I have to go visit so i do apologize to the crew there um but i gotta say one of my oh you haven't been before no one of my favorite labels though you did for them i think it's like is the the all main green mine the the that with the state on it with the, that foil can oh yeah yeah uh, I, I, um, that's, that one's funny. Uh, everyone really loved that one. And, um, I can say like, it's everyone at bunker. We kind of had a good chuckle with that one. Cause honestly, that whole idea, that was like, <laughs> that was an, that's an old map that was well, right. hanging the, yeah, in, the... in Creston's office. Like uh, Creston is again, the owner head brewer. So, when we were, he had kind of was just like, I don't really want that. <laughs> like, you know, 
so just our whole dynamic at Bunker, we're all friends. Like uh, Jared McKenna, he's the like sort of in-house photographer, and he's really talented. Uh, but we always have weekly meetings, and we're kind of talking about this. And essentially, I, I was like, okay, you want that? All right, like uh, just that, like and. So essentially, Jared, I'm like, oh, Jared, can you take a really nice photo? Because I didn't want to yeah. hack and just do like a phone photo. I'm like, can you just take a nice photo of that map and send me, you know, the file? And then I'll uh, like, you know, essentially play with the text and stuff and make it look kind of like it's a map, you know. Uh, and then sort of the icing on the cake was I, when we were laying it out, I was, I, I told Chris, I'm like, we should really make the state uh, metallic, you know, like, cause the colors on there are just really nice. And, you know, at that point we had started doing some metallics on certain labels and, you know, just through trial and error, we've kind of dialed in what colors and what works best uh, with the metallics because you don't really get a physical proof. You kind of just order these labels and they come in and then, like some early ones, you're like, oh, well, it looks good, but maybe like if I would have known, I would have changed this color or that color or what have you. Um, so so that was kind of the icing on the cake I brought to the table where I was like, oh, let's make this metallic. And But when that when we finally dropped it, everyone just kind of went crazy about this label. People were like, oh, it's the best thing since sliced bread and whatnot. And we all kind of like got a little chuckle because it was like well there wasn't really a whole lot of design to it it was kind of a map uh but uh, you know it just goes to show it's like sometimes it's just the right vision you know that's all you need uh and just the right collaborative effort because uh, essentially it was mainly Creston's idea and we just kind of brought it to fruition so that's kind of a prime example of what I was talking about before is just being able to work as a team and bring things together. Um, so, but we, we obviously, we all really love that design as well, but it's, uh, uh, I like to put an asterisk next to that one. <laughs> no, nah, you're humble, man. No, cause I mean, I see, I mean, you're not trying to steal the credit for that map. Like in the photo, you, you're in, in all the promo photos I've seen, it's with the map. Like, it's not like, you know, it's, it's obvious that like you didn't, sketch a state map i mean the the foil the use of the white space you know i i i've come to learn that like it's you know like pasta el, like pasta al dente like it's not easy to make and really good pasta it's like oh i just boiled some water and I put pasta in there but like you got you, you you nail that shit right then it's perfect right and so you know you're a humble guy and i'm gonna you know whatever you brought it to life you know we'll always plug jared so you know huge to that on the the photo but if that wasn't metallic, that would be okay. Be like, oh, okay, that's a good. But like, it looks embal like it looks like it has like some texture to it, and it's really, it's uh, it's you know, it stands out. You know, pun intended. It's really you know, it's it's unique. Well, we were joking about because there was a photo of a topographical you know map that had the actually like you know the contours to it and whatnot, and we were just joking after the response. We're like, oh well. If only the label company could do one that had actual topographical, then we'd really blow up the internet. <laughs> uh, so who knows? Maybe in a few years, once the, the the label technology comes along, you'll see an actual map of Maine on there. I mean, that would be a cool map, like of all the cool, like all you know. You're talking about all the connectivity, like to 
have it be the map of Maine with like the beer stuff. That would be you know using that that map. That might be kind of dope. Yeah. Kind of dope. Yeah. Well, I'm more talking about the actual texture. Like, oh you yeah, know, it, it, it looks like it, yeah, like yeah. Uh, where it would actually come off the label. Like you could have like texture uh, where the mountains would be sticking up and whatnot. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, like one of those uh, like flip yeah flip open books. Like, yeah, a three D yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or you can use the other, uh, or maybe they they've made ones I've seen where like they use AI where you like with an app you can do it and like it makes the it's not beer I think it's other consumer packaged goods where you look at it though and it's like you know for kids it has you know some stupid character animated and like dances in front of the product so I mean, that might be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm not familiar with that. I don't have kids, so I'm uh, kind of have a little on that stuff. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, you're not you're not missing much. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just kidding. I love I love being a dad, but yeah. And we are back. You're listening to the Essential Scott Hyduk interview right here on the 16 ounce canvas. Scott and I are covering the same cloth. Obviously, I think that. Uh, his beat matching and, you know, sample and beat creation, you know, what have you, is probably on a level that's not even close to mine. But he and I could talk music and our stories just for hours. It's really just, he's a, you know, soft-spoken, humble guy, self-taught. You know, I I consider myself to be, you know, kind of hacky. I'm, I'm really good about that. I can, I have a lot of... Uh, skills a la MacGyver and you know duct tape and kind of put things together and Scott I love the fact he's you know he's self-taught you know he's really cognizant of that he's always learning and evolving and he just really makes me appreciate what he's doing a lot more not only his labels but just the fact that he's a you know he's vinyl which is you know definitely it's you know it's less forgiving and it's uh it's definitely a truer art form you know like the get down which we love that we love that series on you know Netflix. It's definitely a little sensationalized, but you know Grandmaster Flash in it, and uh, it's definitely you know a lot of fun. But just yeah, these are the type of things I love. I look forward to collaborating with Scott again in the future, and I hopefully you're really digging this and taking some away from it. Our next segment, well, we have two new segments coming up, but we haven't checked in with Heidi on the road in a while. Forty uh, Eight Beer Project, Forty Eight Beer Project dot com. We kind of see where she's at. You know, we haven't spoken to her since kind of fearless, uh, you know, broke down. So you get an update on that. But you know, part two with Scott, we really you know kind of get into it, talking about music. He's you know just again artists that he likes, labels that he's into, just some really really great stuff. And I really look forward to checking out his work. I, I'm not. I can't confirm it. I was look doing some, you know, internet dumpster diving or you know, crate diving, excuse me. And I feel that, that through my paths, I've seen you know Scott in person. You know, I have a few of his uh, mixes, you know, that we've you know been listening to. But I, I have a feeling that I did see him at Oxbow. I don't. I'm not sure if he was there for the the night when they had the uh, art show with you know with uh, with Carl and Mike Van Hall and you know and Keith and Will, but. Everything I've listened to is just kind of spot on and right with the you know with my vibe, and I like the fact that he's turning people on to to unique music. So, you know, keep listening. You're listening to the 16 ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast, episode 108, featuring the multi talented Scott Hyduke. 
from Portland, Maine. And uh, another Maine alum, episode 11, so almost 100 episodes ago, we had Heidi Geist, 48 Beer Project. And uh, like I said, like I tell everybody, once you're part of the family, you know, we got your back, we're loyal, and uh, we'll keep following and supporting you, you know, as you make those journeys. So let's check in with Heidi, see what she's up to, and then we'll get right back into it with Scott. Finish things strong right here on the 16-ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer Podcast. All right, everybody, really excited to have uh, back on, checking in, the wonderful Heidi Geist, 48 Beer Project. Uh, we haven't spoken in, in almost like well over a month, maybe almost a month and a half, and you know, since we last spoke, uh, Fearless isn't put out to sleep, and uh, we just want to make sure that Heidi's okay and kind of catch up with what's going on. So what's, uh, what's a good word, Heidi? We, we miss you. What's, what's happening? I know, AJ. It's been a while. I'm yeah. excited. I'm actually excited. Things have been weird and wonky, but um, ultimately great, and a lot has happened since I talked to you before. So That's what I love about you. You're, you're I mean... We were both sarcastic and a little cynical, but like I, I, you're you're a majority glass full person, which I always enjoy. You always find the positives and things, you know. And, and you know, there's definitely some some weirdos and some wackadoos along the way, but you always have a good perspective on stuff. So I I admire that. Yeah, well, I'm, I think I'm one of those weirdos or wackadoos. So, <laughs> yeah, perspective. Right, I guess. Yeah, I guess we don't we, we don't always look in the mirror, so I guess that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Heck so yeah. so first of all, where the hell are you right now? You're in you're in California, if I remember correctly. So yeah. I am. I just uh, I've been in in Cali for the last 24 hours. I'm presently in Oxnard. I spent the day driving from Joshua Tree to here. The long, beautiful drive, aside from the smog and crazy uh, uh, traffic around LA, but beautiful drive. Yeah, is Joshua Tree, is Joshua Tree as, you know, is it as mystical and wonderful as, as everyone says it is? Yeah, so the funny thing is, I almost didn't want to go because it's kind of become this cliche place for van lifers and people traveling to, you know, get some photo ops. And there's so many other amazing places in California. But I decided to do it, and I'm grateful I did because it is a huge park. And it's so diverse. And it's not just the Joshua trees that are in all of the uh, pictures that you see, you know, the iconic. Actually, I think YouTube, you know their Joshua Tree album had the same basic photo that my uh, that I posted today on accident. Yeah. But um, it's, a, it's a sweet park. It's so diverse, the landscape, because the elevation changes. With the elevation changes, the desert changes. And so, like, you know, there's some areas where it's just rock and brush and dry and brown. And then there are places where it's just wildflowers and cactus. And then and then all of a sudden you come through these hills. It's a huge park. So like maybe 15 miles in, all the Joshua trees start to appear. And then there's an area where it's a bunch of Choya cactus, and they call it the Choya Gardens. You can walk around, and it's pretty amazing. And it wasn't super packed, which I like. It was actually a good a good number of people, so I could stop and pull over and not you know feel like I was surrounded by tourists, but. Well, wasn't that the th- during the the one of the many shutdowns? Like, wasn't that one of the things that people were just like fucking up the trees and 
like destroying it. Wasn't that one of the parks that was getting vandalized, if I remember correctly? I have no idea. I, I didn't hear that, but I would be surprised. Yeah. And yeah, so getting dinged $30 fee just to drive through. I did hike a little bit, I guess. It was a really short hike. It was very painful, but at the same time, you know, those parks need money so bad right now. So. Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah, they're like the, yeah, they're like the artist, like the, the artist version of, of nature, right? It's like, you know, like they need the love too. So yeah, support your oh, local yeah. artist and your local parks. And don't be an asshole. Yeah. So... Don't yeah. be an asshole. So we're, motto. yeah. So fearless, you know, shit the bed. You know, it's uh, a living, breathing art piece in the middle of the desert now in Arizona, right, with your brother. A true story. So my home still though. Yeah. So like, so you're, you've got this new funky, like, vibrant car that you, you know, you tagged up and you know. <laughs> I guess yeah. So you're so you're kind of like you're you leave and then come back. You're like a boomerang, right back to you know fearless. And then is that how? Yeah. No. So uh, that dynamic definitely changed a bit when I got the news about the bus. And I knew for the last several thousand, several thousand. There's ten thousand miles on fearless for probably the last five to six thousand miles driving her. Um, I had to fill the coolant constantly, and it got to the point where every hour I had to stop and fill the entire reservoir. The whole thing would be empty, dry as a bone. And so I knew there was something really messed up and was poor and couldn't afford to take it in and was nervous to take it in because I didn't want to hear the bad news. Thankfully, my brother, you know, knows all that shit and was able to look at it and rediscovered the issue, which was basically a death sentence. Uh, cracked engine block you can't really fix fix it you can try um you can replace the engine and so i did a lot of looking into that cost wise and what it would take to get it done and it just wasn't cost it, it just didn't make sense but that and like the other things that needed to be done on her we're gonna run you know like five to seven thousand dollars total and plus all that's my home. So to send her away for a week or two to some mechanic would leave me, you know, with nowhere to do my art and, you know, sleep and whatnot. So that was a really, uh, what's the right word? Upsetting, I guess. It was, it was like my heart sank uh, when the realization hit me that, like, that was it for, for the bus. Yeah. But, you know, well, fuck, I'm going to scramble, and this is gonna, we're going to keep doing this. This is a, it's a 48 beer project. It's a year-long project. That's just the tour part. It's it's a big thing. A lot of people have supported it, and more and more people are are finding out about it and getting excited about it every day, even, even throughout the six weeks of me being off the road. There's no way I'm going to let anybody else down. Um, it's sponsored. The breweries are looking forward to it, so... So yeah, it's uh. Did I have a I have I a question? Yeah, it's, so, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I yeah, I have yeah. a question, and I hopefully this is. I'm hopefully it's just. Did somebody sell you a a? I don't, I don't want to say a lemon, but like, is that something that like somebody sold you like a you know kind of a. Yeah, like I don't the know. Just, yeah, like is it like the cracked engine? Twelve hundred dollars. Okay. <laughs> oh no no it wasn't it wasn't that I think so I think um. 
I don't, it had overheated once or twice. Um, I think because it had a coolant leak unrelated to the engine block because, well, that's a long story going back that probably shouldn't be aired <laughs> in a podcast. But anyway, um, and I think that um, over time that can create hot spots in the engine uh, or, you know, uh, anyway, and cause it to crack. And okay. on top of that, it, it overheated. And then I just think it was just, uh, you know, 10,000 miles is a lot in a few months. And, you know, a home on wheels. And so there's a lot of weight behind it. She ran great. I mean, there were a few other little problems that cost me a bit of money and time. But um, I don't think so. You okay, know, good, it's good, you know, good, a 1999, you know. All right, good. I just want to make sure because if it was, we we would yeah. we we would hunt them down and we would, we would yeah. No, no, no. She's a she's such a nice lady. I know. She's no, I'm nice just lady. checking. I'm just checking. <laughs> just checking, Heidi. No, you know, as I told you from day one, you're part of the family. So you fuck with Heidi, you fuck with us. Oh. Right? Yeah. There's actually a really good song. No, yeah. There's a good song. Yeah, it's I mean, called Family, and it's like, yeah, you fuck with me. Yeah, yeah fuck. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Moving on. I feel like anytime you're paying less than two thousand dollars for a vehicle, yeah, you know, and actually, and I took it in. It was it was inspected in Maine and passed inspection when I when I had bought it. It had already been through all that, and then you know when I before I put her on the road, I had her checked out, and they told me she was a great vehicle for the road and she'd do fine. So these are things that happened along the way, and I do like what you, it is. I do like you keep referring to her as she. Yeah, rest in peace, fearless. I don't know well, if you re- rest in peace. She's more like at a home, kind right? I've always been at. She's more like at home. She's not really rest in peace, right? She's still there. She's just not mobile. Well, exactly. And in a way, it's it's good and bad. Like there's pros and cons to the situation now, you know. So that a dynamic totally changed. And as I sit here in this Honda CRV in a busy parking lot, trying not to be seen, um, whereas before it was like I was in a home and you couldn't see in the windows, and I could be anywhere I wanted to be. And I could use the bathroom inside and I could brush my teeth inside. You know, like those things are now it's kind of a pain in the ass. Hmm. But, you know, to have her be a home base and still my art studio where I go back to and I work on all this art and go back and she's covered in dust, but she's covered in all the stickers and all, all the logos and like all the memories of the things that have happened along the way. It's actually kind of cool. It's totally an art piece. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. If somebody's got a, yeah, a flatbed at the end of it, get that back and that should be installed somewhere. And oh yeah. That'd be wonderful. I agree. I agree. So, so yeah. So, what I love, you're you're adaptive. I mean, you're a nomad, so the idea you live on the road, like you're 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 wonderful with that. Like you in your voice, like all this shit happens. You're just like, well, you know, I got another car, and now I'm doing this, and whatever. We're gonna make it work, and you know. So it, I just I always love catching up, and I, I love. It. I mean, we haven't done the interviews, but we still you know keep in touch, and just yeah, you're always just you know you you just go with the punches, and I mean. So, I mean, a lot of people would just have crawled into a ball and probably, you know, called it a day. So I, I think I, I admire your, your your dedication. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's part of the story, and it's gonna make a good, you know, it's gonna make a good book or flip book or something. But it's gonna, yeah, it's it's great. Thank you. I I will say though that um, 
I, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have all these people with a GoFundMe that I did to get the car, the new, this new ride. Yeah. Um, if that wasn't successful, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I took on a ton new, of new work in addition, but that's what I've been, how I've been surviving the last six months, you know? I mean, what, so, what is, what is, I mean, I have a question. Like, you, how do you get a new car yeah. in another state and then get like, was that, a, is that, I mean, I know that's not like an art question, but like, that's just like, you're like, oh yeah, we get this car. Like, what, I mean, how do you register a car in another state when you're not from that state and the whole thing? Like, was that difficult? Like, I mean, I don't Apparently even know. Doesn't, I don't yeah. know. If it might it might matter state to state, but in Arizona, it didn't matter. Um, they used my main address, my license. I don't. I didn't need to change it. Um, I just, yeah, I went in. Got, I went in with a guy. Bought the car from him. Uh, Mexican, old old Mexican guy. Didn't speak a lick of English. And we sat down together at the DMV or BMV or BVM or whatever the hell they call it. And, got the title signed over to me and it's official and so yeah i was i was a little bit surprised it's got arizona plates <laughs> yeah like it's just like i got like, a car okay. i'm like uh what I'm like okay yeah i guess it was like <laughs> okay yeah yeah just don't get pulled over like, yeah, like yeah, wish me luck with this thing <laughs> well no i mean i'll go to bat i mean i've uh the first car I, uh, well actually not well the second the first car i ever bought was a honda crx they don't even make them anymore. CRX? Yeah, I think that's what it is. It was oh, yeah. like a little, like Billy was like above the little ground. Little speedy thing. Yeah, it was a little yeah. scary. Yeah, uh, I got that at an auction. And yeah, I had my Honda Pilot for 12 years, you know, 15. How long? Yeah, I had a long time, like almost 200,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, donated to a kid, I donated to a kid in the neighborhood for his first car. Like, yeah, now we drive Honda. So, I mean, uh-huh. yeah, well, they're like, I was going to donate, like, it was a whole pain in the ass thing. I was going to donate it to charity and then... I was talking to his dad, and he was. We were talking about something else, and he's like, oh, "That car's been your driveway for a while." Like we we're at that point where I was like the guy in the neighborhood with the old car in the driveway for way too long. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, "I'm about to donate it," and he's like, "Well, my son's looking for a car." I'm like, I, "I don't think it works. Like, it's not. I don't know if it's safe." You know, I was like, "At least the donations I knew they get scrap metal for or something." And he was like, "Well, if we can fix right. it, you know, our friends are mechanics." I was like, "All right." I'm like, "I just don't want to," you know have anything happen to your son, you know? So yeah, they're, I see them working on it, which is kind of nice. I would like to see her get, I mean, she easily get a hundred thousand oh, miles. On. Yeah. So hopefully they get a little rebirth there. Hey, you just referred to her as a, uh-huh. yeah, see, why, I did. Why, why do we do this? Why, why do we refer to her? Well, cause I would talk to her. I would talk, yeah, I would talk to the car. To her. Yeah. I don't know if it was a her. I mean, I guess it could have been a he, <laughs> I don't know. It just made more sense. Like person put up with me. Yeah. She put, she's put up with me more than my wife. You know, I've, I've known, I think my wife would get jealous for a while. So she's definitely, uh, Knew, knew, knew me longer because I had it right out of college. It was the first thing I ever, ever bought. But um, so what brewery, what breweries on this leg of uh, you know the tour you're working with? What's what's going on? How's it going? Uh, yeah, Casa Agria, they're right down the street from me. Uh, <clears throat> surprisingly, a lot of people outside of the beer industry who are craft beer drinkers that I know haven't heard of them. Um, so they're putting out some pretty impressive impressive beers and unfortunately a couple of them are at the prairie well not unfortunately for them but for me they're at the prairie festival this weekend so i'll miss them but um but yeah i'm freaking stoked um you guys have a great reputation and it's a beautiful area so yeah yeah 
That's cool. Yeah, yeah that Prairie Festival does look, that. That Prairie Festival does look pretty dope. We interviewed. Uh, yeah, we had we had uh, Colin on, and he was like, "Oh, you should come out." And I was like, hmm, "I would love to, but that's not gonna happen." <laughs> yeah, and they I can't remember all, the whole lineup, but they have um, a handful of Forty Beer Project uh, collaborators. I think I want to say Ozark is one of them um, from Arkansas, mm-hmm. who was awesome. I can't remember all, all of them, but. Um, Maybe collective brewing project. I'm kind of jealous. I wish I was there. Yeah, but your planning was terrible. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, oh, we're we were doing a map that we were doing a like I was like one of those sites you kind of like fill in like your travel map, and I was doing all the artists we've had, and it's got I I didn't I didn't cheat and use you for you know all the states I haven't done yet, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll get some advice with from your world travels because I, I would like I would love to have all 50 I and mean, I don't I don't know what Hawaii and Alaska actually Alaska is Anchorage but like some other ones but yeah we're it's pretty we've got like almost 30 or 35 states I think we've covered maybe more so it's pretty cool holy crap yeah that's awesome yeah how many episodes or how many artists um let's see this have week you- this week well we have yeah we've we've lined up we have our 12 for this season and let's see this week is episode uh, 108 uh so this wow. is uh yeah scott Hyduke uh is on this week so uh yeah that's cool i'm excited yeah and so we so he's up this is the third and so we have at least nine more this season so we have 117 lockdown yeah yeah i'm trying to think i was like eight or something yeah i was gonna like, say a lot. yeah you were fucking 100 episodes ago. i'm pretty sure you're episode eight if i remember correctly so that's insane yeah i'm so i'm so proud of you no, it's a thing. Good like stuff. people we're, love it. We're a family. Oh wait, yeah. Once we're done recording, I, I got some good news. This will be the teaser for the episode, but I've got some awesome news to share with you. So once we stop recording, but yeah, no, I think that's the beauty of it. I really, you know, I'm I'm blessed, and you know that's why what you're doing is is so. I'm so I'm I, I I'm so proud. I'm just so. I mean, I I'm really I was really like generally felt like sadness when I heard about Fearless. Like I was like it, it pulled at my strings. I was like fuck. You know, it's such an original idea, you know. But yeah, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, it'll be good to, when you get back, yeah. No, you were episode 11, so I mean, you you were, you weren't a full 100 episodes ago. You were only like 98 ago or something like that. 96? That's not the, not the math. <laughs> That's not the math at all. That wasn't how it goes. I was 11 and there's yeah. 100? No, we're at 100 and, uh, this week's 108. So you were, so you were 97, oh, 97 uh... episodes ago. Okay, I mean, I haven't exactly been working on my education, but you're not getting homeschooled. Not getting homeschooled on the road. I'm not. I'm not doing my math. Uh, I, I am happy. Uh, I am happy your daughter ribcorded and kind of like bowed out though, because that would that would have been terrible if she was like with the car broke down. At least it was just you. No, <laughs> she wouldn't be very happy. Yeah. No, she's doing great. She's doing great. Yeah, okay. it's funny. I was driving this this morning, and <clears throat> well. Or yesterday from Arizona, and okay, let me just say, so Fearless is diesel, and at the, at the most expensive point on the East Coast last fall mm. or late summer, when they asked, I was the very most they ever paid was like four dollars and a penny per gallon, um, which was only like in DC and stuff, and then for the most part, it's been like in the mid like two. 220 to 270 a gallon for West diesel Coast, the yeah. whole way. Mm-hmm. 
So I get I get this new ride that's way more gas efficient and fast and all these things, and I hit California and it's like four dollars and fifteen cents a gallon, and that's that's on the cheap side for unleaded fuel. That's insane. Oh. I saw as much as like four dollars and eighty cents a gallon for unleaded gas today. Oh, I got you beat. What the. I was in fucking London, and so okay. a, a I decided to drive on the other side of the road. Which when when I the, when you, that's a teaser for this episode. I'll talk about it. It was one of the craziest oh, things I've ever done in my entire life. Yeah, I clipped a fire fire engine, but you know, they were, thankfully I didn't do any damage. But they did pull me over, <laughs> so that was great. Within five minutes of me in the car in Man. London, I got pulled like. Hello. Oh uh, yeah, you just uh, hit the engine. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I was like shaking, but they pay by the liter. <laughs> and yeah, they pay by the liter. And it was like, I want to say one and a half pounds per liter. And so if you do the math, it's like four and a half liters to the gallon. And then you do the conversion on that, uh, one and a half pounds is like two, like it's 1.5 to the, so it's like 225, 250 a liter. That was crazy. Oh man! Because I was because they gave me the car and it was on empty and they're going, oh, we should we should fill it up and they were you know, so she's like, I'll I'll, I'll go fill it up and bring it back and she comes back and she's like, I filled it up with a quarter tank and I'm like, why? Like that's kind of fucked. Like you can fill the whole tank up for me. Whoa! And then, and then like crazy. yeah, yeah. So it was like I can't imagine how much that was. You know, so that was yeah, that was that was crazy. Yeah. Well. I stopped at a little cafe in Joshua Tree. There's actually a town called Joshua Tree just out of the park and a little coffee shop this morning. And I asked the guy, because I tried to get gas and saw the prices, and I couldn't believe it. I asked the guy at the counter if he knew of a cheaper place, and the girl behind me kind of laughed, and she was like, we're from Canada, and we've been paying over $6 a gallon. I'm like, fuck, man. In Canada? Wow. I, I'd pay six bucks a gallon for, for universal health care and legal weed. Like, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy on that, but yeah. Actually, weed in California is probably better yeah. than in Canada. But, I mean, not that you would know. But I'm just saying hypothetically. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Right. Well, so what's next? When we check in, we're going to, we're, now that we're, we're back and, you know, we know we have a job, uh, what's, you know, what's, so how long you, how's this going to work? You're going to be in California for how many days and then back okay. to Arizona? Update us. Yeah, so how this works now is that there's a, there's a handful of breweries each tour. So I'm going up the coast. So I have a few days before my next one, but tomorrow's this uh, Casa Agria, and then a few days to like meander all the way up to Portland, Oregon, and um, Great Notion. Um, and then pretty much the next day, I think I have to be in Tacoma for E9, Engine 9. Um, and then I'm actually, uh, great notion. Yeah. They're, um, they're, they're our people. Great notions are people. So yeah. Tell them. Great notions. Great. Yeah. We had I chat. may or not we had... be collaborating with a brewery on a beer, um, in oh, Seattle That's dope. this week and then Boise to Woodland Farms, uh, May 8th and then back to Arizona for like two, two or three weeks. And then I'll I'll put out the new schedule so everyone knows. It's still being confirmed. Like some of these breweries are slow to get back. So the next leg, um, kind of like your six packs, the next leg has yet to be confirmed, and we'll release the schedule as soon as they do. So they're twelve packs. They're twelve. But packs. yeah, so twelve packs. We do. We do 12, twelve packs. packs. <laughs> Did I say six? I don't know what yeah. I'm talking about. God. That's all right. 
Yeah, we like our beer, our beer puns. But yeah, no, I, all right. So yeah, we'll, uh, all right, we'll, de- so we'll, we'll get, we'll touch base with you the next like two weeks. Maybe we'll, yeah, we'll see where you are and how things are going. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see you, but I definitely, I just, I'm, ex- I'm excited. Like you just, you are one of the most badass, hardworking people I, I've met, you know, of the 108 episodes. So I, I just want, I want this to, to continue to be awesome. So keep, yeah, keep grinding. Oh, thank you. You're so awesome for even doing this for everybody. But like, you know, I love checking in with you. It's fun. It's fun talking. So. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Until, yeah, until next time, 48, is it now, this is going to be an awkward question. Is it going to get to 48 with all the problems? (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah. If anything, it, it might be 50. Boom! That's what I'm talking about. That's how you close out the segment right there. Boom! 48 plus project. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Put a little plus exactly. sign on the hood of the car. Yeah. All right, everybody. How do you guys check her out? 48 Beer Project. Yeah. Get in touch. I know some people in Seattle, so maybe I'll I'll, uh, I'll have them, I'll have them come heckle you and just throw stuff. Heck no. yeah! I love right. getting heckled. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, now we're gonna and there you have it, folks. Checking in with Heidi Geist. One of our OGs, season one, episode 11, 48 Beer Project. But let's get back into it. Scott Hyduke, vinyl extraordinaire, self-taught designer, all-around good people, right here on the 16-ounce canvas. You know it, folks. The Art of Craft Beer Podcast. Now, I also, and also another key piece of your pieces, which is kind of cool with you, you and Will being you know, such good friends, is the use of kind of this unique topography. Like, you're making, like, the way you design your letters and, you know, they're, they're creative. You know, you're kind of making your own unique alphabet to, to bring some of these, you know, labels to life, which I think is, is yeah, is, is, I've come to appreciate lettering and, and fonts and quote-unquote simple things a lot more, you know, with the, you know, the don't look back is a, is a great example of that one. Oh, thank you, yeah. Um, and, like, but that those are some of my favorite designs. Uh, it's kind of it nods to um, sort of the Bauhaus with movement style, which are like um, you know kind of in the twenty early twentieth or like mid early mid twentieth century. You know, just um, styles that are very simple and really strong on um, topo- or like typography. Um, I think part of that influence for me again, goes back to my music because um, I, you know, I dig on vinyl records. So I have, man, I, I don't know, like over 25 crates worth of records. So I have a lot of records, but needless to say, years and years of digging, sometimes I'll buy records just based on their design. And even though it may not be a record that I want to listen to, it may be just the design is really nice to me. So feel like that's part of my influence is all records have some sort of type in them just as the nature of it it needs to promote whatever product it is um so i think that's a huge influence on me personally um when it comes to type because of my musical influence um and also the use of space as well because a lot of you know the uh records like it's that 12 by 12 format um but generally they want to incorporate some sort of let's use like an old jazz cover for example a lot of those have really cool design where it has 
big bold fonts and some uh, like the sub font, but also some nice monochromatic image of a guy blowing a horn or whatever. And it's all tied together with a, a similar color scheme. Like those sorts of designs are super influential on me. And, you know, I think on a subconscious level as well. So yeah, um, I agree. But, yeah. Yeah. I used to, I used to buy, I, I used to manage a band that was kind of one of the outputs of uh, the radio thing. And I, you know, we was basically like DIY, like whoever could do something, we would just kind of hack it up together. And so I used to buy a lot of uh, like old album cover books and just like you're saying, like just the way they would have the fonts and the layouts and this, it was, first of all, just to think about how it was done before technology, which is kind of a nice nod to your, you know, being an all vinyl DJ is just really, uh, really impressive. Yeah, well, it's funny you mention that because sometimes I look at these old album covers from like 60s and stuff and I'm like, you know, I use Illustrator and Photoshop. I, like, I look at some of those designs. I'm like, oh, well, I could definitely throw that together. And it would probably take me, like, an hour or something. But back in the day, I'm like, they probably, like, literally had to cut all that out. And, you know, it's, like, so much more of a process, uh, like, uh, that they had to do. So nod to the, the earlier designers out there because they're definitely the forefathers of a lot of stuff. Um yeah, they're, but, yeah, now like it's like okay, that was the Ben Johnson move. It's like now it's like one click, and that guy would spend you know I just made up a name, but like he would just spend like you know five you know a week working on that thing, and now it's like all right, three clicks, you drag here and you put this filter on, done. It's like that you probably would have a heart attack and realize how easy it is. Right, right, but that's also something that comes with time. I've even you know design wise, I've worked like because I'm self-taught so some all like certain things like i've learned just via like teaching myself or having to do something where i'm like oh like damn like what how do i do this so like luckily i'm you know with the internet nowadays you can basically find out how to do anything if you search enough uh so I, you know, I've always been curious in that respect and always taught myself and, you know, challenged myself to learn these new techniques, you know. Uh, so, I'm, you know, that's what makes it fun still is I feel like I'm always learning something new. And with the technology, there's always new things to learn as well. So, Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because so, yeah, we, cause we, I mean, we try to do, we've had help from a few folks who are designers to help us with some, we've done events and promo, but like we make those videos that we just, you know, dropped. Like I, before I was doing an iMovie, then I had like, I tried, tried to figure out how to make it square. So then I went and like someone said, oh, then I found a couple of figures saying on YouTube about using Keynote. And then I like went down this whole rabbit hole and I was like, oh. And so it was all these, finding all these objects to make the video. And so you're, you're right. And now, now I'll probably do it that way moving forward. But yeah, it's been exciting. But um, let, let's talk, one of the things I'm really interested to learn about is, you know, Let's talk about you as a DJ, kind of, you know, how did, you know, you, you like I said, there's all, like you're talking about, you can use Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff, but you're, you're old school, you're classic, you're, you're vinyl, you know, you're, you're diving into those crates at the record shops, you find that those gems kind of, you know, what's, you know, what's the, I think it's soul and funk from what I've listened to, but you know, what's, how do you describe your, your sets or what, what what's kind of the vibe your, your, your shows? Um, well, I'd say, yeah. Primarily funk and soul. It obviously varies a little bit. Um, I guess do you want to just know 
the vibe of my sets or kind whatever. Of how yeah, I got kind, into it yeah, or, kind of how you got into it. Like, yeah, you know, you said you're, you know, a kid of the, you know, the golden age, the '90s, which is amazing. You know, so just kind of, yeah, I'm definitely right. Like, well, I, I guess I started actually before I was a DJ. I, I first got in, uh, like I mentioned earlier, making beats, like you know, sampling records, and so I, you know, find these different like drum breaks and chop them up, and you know. Bass lines, whatnot, you know, essentially make either like full tracks out of samples. So, a large part of that is digging for records. And how I originally got into digging for records was kind of in college, you know, me and my uh, kind of like stoner friends would listen to records or like started, we all kind of adopted our dance collections initially. And that's, you know, but I had lucky to have a number of friends that were musicians and really into you know not just the top 40 stuff they were into older music and um sort of turned me on to you know old funk soul and stuff like that and and also i got into like i really got into 90s or like you know hip-hop but sample-based hip-hop and what really sparked my initial interest was when I started to realize that some of these beats were, they weren't, they were samples and not actually like just a track. Like I was like, Oh, that when I originally found that out, it kind of blew my mind where I was like, wait, like this is like, this isn't just like a band playing this. So that kind of originally started me on the wormhole down, like trying to find these samples. And this was still like, you know, early, like, you know, early 2000s. So there, the resources online, you couldn't find a lot onto like, what are all these classic drum breaks and, you know, these tracks and stuff. So it was, there was still a lot of like, just, you had to like, essentially be digging for records. Like you just had to find them and like, and be a listening to a lot of music, you'd find these records. Uh, so that's kind of what originally got me into records was trying to find these breaks and stuff. And, um, and then that kind of started before I moved to Maine, I started making beats just for fun purposes, really. Uh, and then I moved to Maine and when I first moved to Maine, I, I met one of my good friends, uh, who no longer lives in the state, but he uh we started working together i was just doing like you know when i first moved up here just working odd job at first just to pay bills whatnot you know figure it out and i was working with him and ended up he had a turntable a mixer and you know he realized i made beats and he kind of like liked the rap or whatever <laughs> so so we started hanging out and he started like just coming over and like freestyle a rap into some of my beats and stuff and then essentially from there he taught me how to dj like just basic dj skills and i taught him kind of how to make beats and sample and um we became really good friends and for you know when he still lived here for years it kind of like we both pushed each other to find more records and you know we we would dj shows together or whatnot and um just kind of He's also an artist as well. So like he's a creative person and we would always, and he was 
he or is, uh, excuse me, uh, like a, a, a big vintage dude. So he'd always be going to flea markets and whatnot. So a lot of time we'd always just go on all these digging missions and, you know, just try to find records and whatnot. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into DJing originally. And then, um, you know, made beats for years and kind of didn't have regular DJ things. Like, you know, it's just kind of here and there people would be like, Oh, like, you know, you want to do this party or whatever? Like, and then like, essentially, like I said, when I met Tim from Oxbow and stuff, that's when I started DJing more regularly after I started doing a few of the Oxbow events and bunker events. Cause it, it's mainly an exposure thing as these breweries started opening up then you know they'd reach out to me because they knew me personally as well and like the tunes i play and you know i think there's a certain piggyback effect obviously you know brands like oxbow and bunker like were kind of the earlier brands on the scene in portland area so there's a certain piggyback effect that people you know wanted wanted me to DJ because like, you know, like I'd done their event or whatever. So kind of spawned from there. And I just still like, you know, with time, essentially I've just, I I like to call it like a wormhole, you know, like if you're really into music uh, that, that, that itch never goes away. Like there's always more music to find more records to find. And, you know, my, taste of change it's always leans towards funky stuff but there's always a new uh, you know a new artist that you find out about or a new label and then you know you want to get all the stuff from that artist or label uh, and then it just goes from there um but as far as my sets go um it varies a little bit depending on the time of day um because, you know, some brewery events, for example, this last weekend, like when I play during the afternoon, I'm going to play a little more like background, like not necessarily dance music, more like just, I like to call it vibes. You know, I'm just laying down the soundtrack for people to hang out and drink to. So a lot of time it ends up being funky, but more like, say, like Afrobeat or like just some, you know, 70s soul type stuff, uh, you know, like nothing obtrusive um and then if i play more of a later night dance party set it's more like like kind of like post disco early 80s funk a lot more like synth like you know um kind of like zap type more bounce to the ounce type stuff uh for um so it varies a bit as far as like the event generally afternoon ones i'll focus on like keeping it fairly mellow and diverse, you know, a little bit of reggae, a little bit of Afrobeat, some funk, a little bit of hip hop, you know, a little bit of everything. And then, um, I'd say my biggest thing though, is like right now is kind of early eighties, like boogie. It's sort of like post disco. It's a little funkier, a little less cheesy. (laughs) So that's like kind of my, like probably what I'm most into, uh, if like when I go to a record shop and want to go all in digging, that's probably the genre I'm going to focus on first and foremost. So, yeah, no, I love it. Cause, um, yeah, we, I mean, talking about the, 
the influences of uh, the early hip hop. Me and uh, friends, and I wish I still, we still had them because just it, it was uh, we made CDs, but it, we called it like what we call it, uh, know your roots. And we'd be like, you know, I think we had like five volumes and you're talking about like realizing the samples, you know, like, you know, the, the Isley brothers on the, you know, the biggie track and stuff like that. Like it was just, and so we'd play like the original and then we'd play the, you know, the modern or the, the, the track that kind of sampled or in some cases oh, yeah, know, ripped yeah, it off. Yeah. And like, we'd play that at parties, just kind of like not, not making a big deal about it. And people would just go crazy. Cause they had like, first of all, most people had no idea. Like you're saying when they realized that, you know, that there's, you know, the samples were being used. So that was, yeah, that was always fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, well, that, and like I said, that's what happened with me. It was kind of a light bulb moment where you're like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like, and you know, and that's, that was, you know, one of those wormholes I went down and now I don't really search out breaks. Honestly, I don't even listen to a lot of hip hop as much anymore. I'm more, as time has progressed and I've gotten older, I more gravitate towards the original grooves and or there's a lot of newer labels putting out stuff that is sort of in an old school vein. Either they're recording it with old school instruments or what have you. So a lot of those smaller independent labels that are putting out new stuff, I'm on that as well. Um, so, uh, you know, it's really fun. Like I said, you can you can it's an endless search though <laughs> it, it can be expensive at times <laughs> yeah, but especially I like now the, it's gotten uh, so trendy like vinyl like it, but, yeah. but the good part is a lot of old stuff is getting reissued so that's that's a, that, that's helpful but you're right i've noticed that right it's a it's a well, can, yeah tough one yeah well i'm also like me and some of my record nerd friends like that's kind of thing is like a lot of us sort of an ego thing you don't want to get the reissues you want to get the ogs as they say I you know i, like, I figured that kind dude. of like yeah. di digging cred of, like digging cred like you know it's like sort of like oh you found that what <laughs> like uh so there's a certain you know there's a certain bragging right uh, like element to, to digging for records um but obviously as a dj like i play my records out so you know my records get beat up after a while you know like at the end of the day i'm about good music that I want to hear and really the goal is to just a lot of time I'm trying to turn people on to stuff that they may not be familiar with and kind of like we were talking about breaks like that was originally what I got turned on to but now it's more like I just want to turn people on to something that may be a little deeper than you'll hear on the radio um, so that's always kind of been my MO as far as DJing is sort of turn people on to something new that maybe they'll like and I think oh, it's yeah. worked really well with a lot of the craft beer scene because, you know, some of these beers are kind of esoteric and, uh, you know, take a little, aren't as approachable and take a little time to get used to. So, um, and that's not a bad thing. That's just the reality of it. So um, generally the type of crowds that are um, attending these events that I spin at are generally more open-minded and also are more open-minded to diverse music, which really helps and makes it fun for me. Cause you know, as a DJ, one of the things you dread the most is when you get requests, you know, like, yeah. if you ask any DJ ever, like if they say, no, they don't mind then they're lying. Like, you know, no DJ wants requests. And it's like, it's just one of those, like it, 
like that's how you earn your stripes as a DJ is you get through those heavy request gigs and like, you know, then you're a pro. <laughs> so, um, so luckily like a lot of events I do, I don't really have to deal with that because most people are pretty chill. Um, and, and I'm assuming are digging the tunes too. So that helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I did the radio thing, it was, uh, it got to a point, I mean, it was, I was, it was lucky. We'd, I had four hours every once a week and it was just, you know, but our inside scoop, I would go, I would, I had, I had a nine to five gig and I had to be in the station was in, and it was like f- under five minutes from where I lived. So I could get home most weeks burn and then like get to the stage studio. But I had so many, it was a good problem to have because once you kind of, there was a lot. There wasn't many independent shows, and so these smaller labels, once they'd find out, you get on these lists, and so I would like I would come home literally every day to, you know, one to you know a half dozen mailers, you know, records, you know, CDs. Oh, nice. So the promo copies, right? Yeah. So like it got to a point they where have I was the like, promo copy stamp on them or whatever. Yeah, and so I was really lucky, and so there was. I mean, I I had crates. You know, it wasn't records, but it was you know the discs and. So that would be how I would like mix it up that week because I was definitely in the same vibe you were. I was trying to turn people on to new stuff. You know, they could be just putting out this you know promo tape and drop it off at the studio, or you know doing a world tour. And I, it, as long as it fit, like it was cool with me. And so I would just pick like a couple crates that week. I was and they weren't that organized. So that would be how I would mix it up. I would have my, you know, to keep it dynamic because I didn't. I wouldn't right. pre-plan the set, and you know I had a few staples. You know bands i would play or whatever but other than that i just tried to try to mix it up because i mean after doing it for 10 years you know i was i was trying to you know keep it live and so yeah that's why as I, we were talking about you know a couple of weeks ago you know my wife got me a controller you know digital but i'm definitely trying to you know learn that because it's just it's just another way to, to to share music with folks so i'm pretty excited about it right well and, and on that point um sort of for me DJing, I kind of have a similar approach where obviously for these different gigs, I, I know like I organize my records, but I don't versus digital DJs where you can kind of build your whole playlist. And it's like, it, you can kind of just plug and play and no dis, disrespect to digital DJs or whatnot. Um, uh, but for me, I always, obviously I can, I can't bring my whole collection with me, uh, but um, just for weight and space purposes. So I have to kind of curate a set for one of these DJ gigs, but a lot of time it's like a, a day or a few days prior. It's based on a vibe thing being like, Oh, I feel like it's going to be like this or like, you know, Saturday night, everyone's feeling festive. I need some more like up tempo. Like, so I kind of, you know, build my crates based on what I think the vibe will be and always b- bring enough extra. But I always freestyle my sets. I may have like maybe the first few tracks organized or a few combos that I know work really well together, but I never like to go into the set like with a full, like, you know, it's pretty hard to organize a three or four hour set. anyway. like from start to finish, like I like to read the room and like feel the vibe and play accordingly. And that's, I think I've gotten compliments about that because I'm able to do that well, where it's like, okay, well, you know, it's chill afternoon drinking. Like I'm not going to kick things yeah. off with like 120 BPM, like dance, well, 
dance floor killer, like it's probably going to go over everyone's head. Uh, so it's just uh, like sort of having that ability to know the vibe and adjust um, to, to, you know, kind of whatever everyone else is feeling like feel like just kind of try to read the room. So, yeah, I love it. I mean, how now, cause like I said, I'm, I'm, using the digital thing and I'm, I'm kind of learning it. I mean, I'm so I'm like noob tier below that, but how do you, how does that work with the vinyl and is in the, you know, the tempo and the, the, you know, the BPMs, like how to just kind of from an interface perspective, how, how, how is that? How, how do you manage that? Um, well, I, you know, part of it is I'm lucky enough that my mixer actually has a BPM counter on it. Um, in the past I used to just, you know, kind of just, it was by ear. And like I said, because I made beats for a long time, I think I kind of already know, like, if something sounds off, like, you know, because I'm, I listen to things more, like, rhythmically than, like, than chords, per se. I just, you know, it's like, I'm not a, a, a trained musician by any means. So, I have certain buddies that bust my chops where be like, oh, that's the wrong chord like that you just mixed or whatever. Like I more, I, I listen to drums and beats, you know. So, uh, but my mixer now has a BPM um, counter on it. That's it has an auto counter, but also you can tap it out. So, certain records that I have, basically what I do is I'll like, I'll BPM them and put little stickers on my records to indicate like which tracks on the album I dig and like what BPM they are. And then a lot of time I like to organize my crates from slow to fast. Oh, and, that's uh, good. If I'm doing a gig and I can just kind of go through and be like, Oh, okay. Like starting at like 95 BPMs and my crate will go to 115 BPMs and then just kind of generate the, the vibe of any, you know, especially when people are drinking, it starts off mellow and, people get rowdy here. So generally the tempo picks up with the, the vibe. So a lot of time I like to just steadily pick up the tempo. Um, you know, that's not always the case, but generally that's, that's how I'll do my BPMs. And, um, but not for all my records, certain records, you know, it, it's, you can transition from different tempos my mixer also has a handful of effects and whatnot that are useful when you kind of want to make like a transition from fast to slow or whatnot without it sounding overly jarring or what have you so, okay like okay. Yes. okay yeah so it's a definitely much more uh there's a lot more time that goes into because obviously i have to go you know before these dj gigs like i'm at home and like in my lab, like BPMing tracks, you know, leading up to, you know, when I get new tracks, generally it's like, Oh, I have all these ones and these are ones I want to play out. And then I have to just go through the, the, the stack and like BPM, them, uh, you know, like figure out the BPMs and, you know, get some address labels and put it on, you know? So it's, it's definitely a little more, um, like I tell a lot of people, you know, the vinyl thing, it's, it's definitely popular, but it's a labor of love. Uh, you know, it's I lug my my turntables around and create the records for all these gigs. You know, it's a good workout, but it's definitely a lot easier to be de uh, digital nowadays. 
Yeah, because um, everything uh, you're saying, like I'm thinking, okay, he's what he's doing. There's a yeah, play the track, and then it, it remembers it and remembers the BPMs, and I get sorted by the BPMs. Where you're right. that, that's like that's yeah. So I guess it's kind of and and I've heard like some of those programs. Like again, I'm all vinyl, so I'm kind of prehistoric when a lot of this uh, other technology. Like, but I think you can also just have it like if you need to walk away or something, you can auto sync it with the next track and it just kind of mixes for you. So, you know, um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen, I mean, mine doesn't have that, but it just seemed that to me would be like, I don't know. I I get why, I get why the digital stuff is there, but uh, yeah, to me it's, I don't know. If I wanted to, I mean, I I guess people say you could record the playlists, but why would you even want to, why would you even do that? I mean, I guess we could, we we could probably do another hour on just on, on, you know, on, uh, music creation theory i guess but yeah it just kind of would right. t- it would take away it just seemed to you know my i don't know i mean i make playlists for people that's fine i don't mind doing that but that's like <laughs> i'm not there well uh you know part of that reason too though aj is um so like a lot of the records that i have though you may not be able to find digitally like that's also going back to like where i'm digging deeper i'm looking for things that like were on a smaller label that was never reissued, you know, or not all the stuff I have is super rare, but some of it is rare enough that it's like, you're like, there's probably no one else in Portland that's playing that record out. And that, you know, in either it's not available digitally or they wouldn't even think to find it. Like, so, you know, that's part of the, it's definitely takes more time to BPM this stuff. And, you know, there's, like I said, a, a lot more labor that goes into it. But, but at the end of the day, it's more just because that's the the medium that I like the best. You know, I love digging for these records. And part of it is design-wise, like, it's influential to me as well. So um, it it makes it, like, you know, for me, just going online, <laughs> you know, like ordering a song on iTunes doesn't have that same sort of, like, feeling that when I go into a dusty record shop and like finding some new obscure record that I don't know anything about, but bring it home. And then like, now I found something new that I like, uh, that is hard to replicate digitally. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think the, the intimacy of music is, 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 is lost a little bit sometimes, like, especially, you know, now it's just a single and you release it digitally where before, I mean, I worked, you, I, when I worked at the band, we, we, our second record, uh, the first, the first that I was involved with, we, we made the decision to do it recording in analog and that was fucking super expensive because all the real tape was so pricey and you couldn't, you wanted to do a takeover. It wasn't like, oh, just, you know, here's a couple more megabytes on the hard drive. Like, right, so right. That was it's a whole new reel. So that to me was, you know, that was like that, that was a great choice and we, you know, you can hear it and. You know, I, I wish we did that on, on vinyl, you know, and we still have the, one of the guys still has the original, you know, the tapes, but, you know, it was, yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally get it. The idea of just like click and download, you know, it's beautiful right. and, you know, it's, it, it's, it's great because, you know, I'm fine on the plane, I can listen to all these music, but yeah, you're right. There's tracks I'll never hear. You know, I, I do, I use my digital as my life, you know, my, my Shazam, if I hear, you know, an obscure beat or song in a movie or you know, an old, you know, or I'll listen to, you know, the 50s and 60s channels on Sirius all the time just to, to hear something cool and try to, you know, take that away. Or, you know, the question we're going to ask you next is one of my biggest self-serving ones is, you know, are, you know, 
music that you're listening to when you're creating, it's kind of different. You're a DJ, so you're always listening to music. But yeah, we ask that question, and people, that's one of the, the biggest feedbacks we get is that folks get turned on to new music because we got folks from all around the world and the country who, what they're listening to. And so I just, you know, it's self serving as hell. But yeah, I, my, my love of music is, um, I totally, I have a huge respect for what you do and the choice you make. Labor makes it sound painful. I mean, it's a lot of time you're spending on it, but you're just true to who you are and what, and that's, that's really, that's what I dig about you. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate it. So like I said, right, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, were you asking like what music I'd like to listen to when I'm do design? Or? Yeah, whatever. Like it's a, it's a super open-ended question. Yeah. It's just basically, I mean, it's basically just, you know, and I think what we'll do is, you know, we'll, we'll connect offline and you'll, uh, you send me a couple of your, your, uh, I think your SoundCloud, you know, we'll, we'll get that out to people. So maybe we'll just do a couple of your, you know, yeah. And the, yeah. And the beds we do like the intro, the, the episode, the middle and the end, we customize that. And if folks don't realize that if you go back to every episode, the tracks that we, I talk over are, recommended by the artist they'll say they listen to this they like oh this. gotcha so gotcha we try to, yeah we, okay, try to, cool. we try to make it like as customized to to scott as possible you know so we, i think gotcha. we'll, i think we'll, cool. we'll, we'll put some high duke mixes on there and you know we'll, we'll do it that way but yeah just yeah what, what's a couple you know going to the vault what's a couple obscure or you know things you were playing you know for your for the the 420 sets that we should we should be checking out or, or, or these oh, labels, well, so, or these like yeah, labels. that's a good one. Well, obviously, I was playing some reggae on four twenty to appease the heads. <laughs> um, but um, I'd say one of the newest things I kind of got on. I'm good friends with a, a local record store owner, and he kind of gave me a plug to. There's uh, this. I'm gonna butcher the name. It's the cow rhythm band or something like that i can email you the link to the track but it's like kind of like steel steel drum band that's like does like kind of hip-hop covers it's on this record oh, label I feel like Big crown okay yeah I, f I feel like yeah I, th I think i know what you're talking about yeah i, I, I like they're not overly obscure uh, or like you know it's not like super rare it's a newer uh band but i got a couple 45s of theirs that I've been really digging, um, and they're kind of like hip hop covers, uh, kind of similar to if you if anyone's heard L. Michaels Affair do like the Wu Tang Clan covers. Uh, I think it's called Enter the 37th Chamber or whatever. Uh, so I was playing some like sort of you know stoner funk vibes, like that's kind of what that stuff is. There's also uh, label out of Indiana called Coal Mine Records. Uh, basically, just anything on their catalog is uh, really good, and I've been digging a lot of that. And that's kind of a newer label that has um, sort of like 70s, like 60s, 70s funk soul like vibe, you know, kind of that retro feel, but uh, like of that era. And then... I guess it's probably easier for me to just tell you a couple labels I'm into because, you know, I, I'm into so much music. Like, it's kind of hard for me to pinpoint one. I know. I, lo I love song it. I, do, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like, when I'm designing and because I'm a DJ, I mainly listen on Mixcloud, like, because it's all DJ mixes. So a lot of time I'll just 
find other DJs that I dig and listen to their mixes because I'm really into hearing how they transition tracks and like the kind of how the 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 flow goes for the whole mix. So and it's just easier because it's like generally an hour or two of music straight where I don't have to keep you know switching tracks or whatever. So a lot of times when I'm actually designing, I'm on Mixcloud and just build a queue of various you know djs or record labels that have mixes that i'm into um but as far as more like modern funk which is kind of on a like synth funk vibe like more like early 80s style um there's this uh, there's excuse me there's a label out of chicago called uh, star creature um they put out a lot of cool like uh, sort of mid-tempo like funky um like sort of synth funk touch stuff a lot of stuff they end up putting out i've been really digging on and again that's a a modern label so those are a couple current record labels that are putting out music that i'd recommend to any listeners if they like funk uh, so those are a few things that i'm into at the moment um and then as far as like i'm always into like 80s funk you, you were talking about kind of uh when you worked with radio and got promo copies when i dig a lot like and go to other cities a lot of time that's the type of stuff i'm looking for it's like these promo copy 12 inch singles of like early 80s dance music because a lot of time i can find them cheap because not a ton of people are looking for them um but also it's kind of obscure because they're like one track, like, you know, yeah, they're, not, they're not supposed to be selling that, them. Yeah. So it's always right. Like, exactly. <laughs> and, and right. Like, as you know, like technically you're not supposed to sell them, but to be quite honest, like probably, <laughs> I probably have it, it like at least five crates that I could fill with only promo copy records. It's you so know, good too. Cause they're the, usually like, different. Yeah. Sometimes they're different cuts too. Like they're not the final, Vert- well, and sometimes there's like promo copy versions that have the extended dance mix, but that's yeah. not on the like LP. Like, you know, they have an, a, a, like a shortened version for the LP. Like, so for me as a DJ, those extended dance cut, you know, they, the, those are the, the ones that I'm looking for a lot. Um, you know, so, and for those, it's like, there's some classic like disco labels, like West End Records, Salt Soul, um, trying to think of a few others uh beckett uh sam records it's a lot of like the sort of early 80s like post disco i like to say like they call it boogie funk kind of you know real like danceable like funky bass lines you know just feel good music in general that's that's the kind of older stuff that a lot of time i gravitate towards so yeah i used to uh yeah i used to listen to like there was like yeah, it was uh, Robodope Records. It was kind of out like Philly, uh, New York. Uh, I think actually in like Jersey. Now I think about it, but yeah, and they had some cool stuff like uh, the Philadelphia Experiment and stuff like that. And another record. Oh yeah, yeah. I I have that on, or I used to have that on CD. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, with uh, with Questlove and Christian McBride and stuff like that. Yeah, I was, I that and then they 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 would be for a while. It was just like a collaboration. It was like one off bands they would have on their on the label and. When I got on that mailing list, I was pretty hyped. And then another one reminded me of your steel drum. Uh, you were talking about is there was a the Clinton administration. It was DJ Logic, uh, Robert Walters, Clyde Stubblefield, and a few other cats. They basically did like 
instrumental, you know, P-Funk uh, cuts, and it was with, like, it was... That oh, was, that, yeah, yeah. Well, what's the name of that the project? It was called The Clinton Administration and One Nation Under a Regroove, and so it was kind of, basically kind of oh, like okay. a remix of, like, old, you know, all the uh, P-Funk tracks, and so... It, it, gotcha. That, so, yeah, it's it, funny you mentioned those bands, because kind of before I got into digging for records, like, my brother and I were really into like Soul Live and Modesty Martin Wood and yeah, man. a lot of that sort of like which is in that realm. That's right, yeah, yeah, I suppose. And I, I didn't really touch on that. Like one of my other genres that I really dig is like soul jazz of that like kind of that Hammond organ, like late sixties, oh, early seventies, so uh, like Hammond organ, soul jazz stuff. Uh so that's also, you know, another like like I said, another alleyway that I go down <laughs> musically. Uh but a lot of that, you know, I was into that sort of like. I guess they were part of the jam band scene a little bit, but yeah, they were they're, they're like, on the edge, and that's what my show was. I guess it was like we were sharing in the groove, and so it was. It started a jam band, a little more jam band, like Fish and the Dead centric, but then it kind of spun off from that, and then Medeski Martin and Wood, and they would play with John Schofield sometimes, and he would play with Phil Lesh, yeah, and then. Yeah. DJ Logic would play with them, and that was like that. That was like mind blowing for me. Like this jazz group playing with the DJ, and then you know Project Logic. I saw them the night of September. Well, the Wetlands was closing in New York City, September 10th, and we went to see right. them play a show. And it was like Warren Haynes came, and all these cats were playing oh, with yeah. Project Logic. And man, like, that's a trip, man. I almost like I was seeing those bands like right around that era as well. My folks were living in New Jersey, and my brother, he went to college at Lehigh in Pennsylvania, so like we'd still go to shows in the New York area, and that was around the time where there was that jazz club tonic, and yep. like, you know, know Jesse Martin right. would, would do their annual like Halloween show, and I'm pretty sure Warren Hain was at one of those. Like, yeah, I was. that was the era that I was into that sort of... I wasn't a heavy jam scene, but... That air, I feel like that was a very like festival movement was pretty strong, and a lot of these other sort of like jazzier bands started getting you know, like dipping their toes in. Uh, but my brother and I tended to like the jazz stuff better than the heavy jammy stuff. Yeah, so yeah, that was I always think about that like when every year with September 11th because we were around the corner and we left there. Like they played till three or four o'clock in the morning, and so we were leaving, and you know. You know, the day they changed it all, but like, yeah, so it's kind of like it's just cool. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I feel that you and I could, and we will when I come back to Maine, we will, uh, we will sit back and vibe in 3D. And I definitely want to, uh, check you, you know, just I'll, I'll probably hover over your shoulder a little bit just to watch what you're doing because I'd love to learn a couple tricks in the trade, <laughs> man. But, uh, I, I, I really, uh, I, I really dig your vibe, man. I really, I really dig what you're doing. Obviously, design and music, kind of, you know, the and, and beer and bud, and so we're, uh, that's a that's a perfect four pack for me. So I I just wanted to you know thank you for being a part of this project, man. Oh yeah, for sure. I really appreciate you having me on, man. And we'll definitely have to grab a brew the next time you're up here. I look forward to whenever it. Whenever that is. Hopefully sooner than later. Obviously we do our summer thing, and then we uh, yeah. I'll talk to you offline. We're, we're working on something, like I said, in, in for Maine. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we, we try to get there as much as we can. I mean, I keep a. Uh, a running Zillow search of uh, houses in, in Portland and, and Harrison. So who knows, man, we're always, we're, we're open-minded people. So we'd love to, we'd love to be up there a little more. Right. Right. Well, look forward to uh, having one the next time you're up here. 
All right, brother. Yeah, and again, you're uh, you're part of the family now. So, anything that you're doing that you know I can help support, you know, just uh, you know, drop a line and we'll uh, we'll propagate to the to the the community. So, uh, we again, I thank you for all you're doing and uh, thank you for making the time to be a part of the project. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. For sure, man. It's my honor. Thanks. All right, he said that, folks. You heard that. I'm going to loop that. When I start DJ, I'm just going to have Scott on repeat just saying it was my honor. That'll, that'll be my set. Was, <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want me to record a little shout-out like they used to do on mixtape strips? Yeah, man, we'll do it up. This is High Duke. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ride your coattails. I'll be like, oh, Scotty said it was an honor to play with me. Like, I've never played a show before, but right. thank you, you so much. Right. add a little uh, delay to it or something. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, it'll be a lot easier for me to do that. I'll fuck it up pretty quickly but uh right right all right well thanks brother and i'll uh i'll talk to you soon man have a great day all right thank you all right bye there it is folks episode 108 yeah whoo I just, yeah, I, I think what Scotty's doing, I, I think it's great. I'm impressed. He's such a, he's inspiring because he's he's pure. He's devoted to his craft. He loves what he's doing. He knows it's there's easy easier ways to do it. There's easier outs, and he's just devoted to it. The music you're listening to this is curated. You know, this is some of his stuff. You know, High Duke on Mixcloud. We mentioned SoundCloud before. You probably made him want to, you know, throw up a little bit in his mouth, but yeah, it's just it's just great because what we're learning here is there's people that are making choices in their life, in their careers, in their paths that they're not easy, and they're so proud of it that it just it's just inspiring because I know that it's it's a word that we might use a lot, but it, but it's true. It, it's just great, you know. I, I love music. It's probably one of the more important things in my life. If they're, you know, and we try to, you know, incorporate that into what we're doing here each and every week. But I like the idea of finding rare cuts. I, I love the idea of turning people on to new music or a different version or something that they've never seen before. And that was really that was, you know, that was the height of you know my radio show. I would you know I would kill for that to have somebody tell me that they learned or were introduced to a band because of what we were doing. So. We will leave it at this. At the end of September 2019, we will be putting on an event that will be epic. And there's a very good chance, wink, wink, that it will take place in Maine. And that's all we can say for today. But we've met some amazing people in the state of Maine. The state of Maine is extremely important to me. It's special. It's magical. It's powerful. It's vacation land. And this is just a great episode, and I hope you, you hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm definitely going to get the controller out this weekend and just pretend I'm uh, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be the digital version of uh, of Scott Hyduke. But you're listening to the 16 ounce canvas, the RF Care Beer podcast. You can follow along with what uh, Scott's doing on Instagram. Hi H I, hello, how you doing? What's a good word? H I underscore underscore Duke. As in the Blue Devils, as in eh, in the basketball scene. And then also HighDukeDesigns.com. Check it out. But 
yeah, if you're if you've listened this far, we thank you. Keep in touch with Heidi, 48 Beer Project, 48beerproject.com, and stay tuned. Keep it bookmarked, theartofcraftbeard.com. All right, folks. Love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.